Hi everyone, Mike Lester here from Farm Equipment and No-Till Farmer Magazines. Thanks for joining us for How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs, sponsored by Osmondson Manufacturing. Today's conversation is with Norbert Beaujol of Seedmaster, who is instrumental in the founding of two different seeding equipment manufacturers and working on a third right now that you might call his biggest industry disruption yet. You're making history with us today, as this Saskatchewan-based farmer and innovator is the very first Canuck we've put in the interview chair for this series. He was a good choice for our first foray north, considering how much seeding technology was incubated right out of Western Canada. I had visited Norbert's operation in Emerald Park, Saskatchewan before, which is just outside of Regina. But during our interview, I also learned about a number of new things about the origins of Seedhawk and then Seedmaster in their early days. Not to mention the exciting new venture with a separate company he founded called DOT. DOT is an autonomous platform he's been using on his own farm and created a great buzz when he revealed it to the public last year. Stay tuned until the end for a special bonus with Norbert on his newest enterprise, DOT, and how this diesel-powered U-shaped frame may revolutionize farm machinery and implements as we know it, including the tractor whose days, he says, are numbered. We caught up with Norbert at a farm show in the Midwest where he was surrounded by corn growers and got a deeper peek into their view of the world of ag and technology. I'd say we got the same from this interview and so will you by listening today. So let's get started, our How We Did a Conversations podcast with Norb Beaujol of Seedmaster and Dot. Tell me what Seedmaster does. Seedmaster is everything seeding in our part of the world. Like we've focused for, or I have, and we have for 25 years on perfecting the the art of seeding, whether it's metering, putting it in the ground, placement of fertilizer. So everything for seeding in our part of the world. I think one of our benefits is that we've focused completely on seeding. And when you're that focused, and I should say no-till seeding, zero-till seeding, when you're focused enough like that, focus your energies for that long a period, either you're in the wrong business or you should become the best at it. <laughs> yeah. And so the crops that you support? The crops we support are wheat, oats, barley, canola is one of the bigger ones, but we also dabble with corns, a fair bit of soybeans that are coming into our area. And we've done a little bit of sunflower and other, to us, strange type plants. You've been part of the launch of two different companies, Seedmaster and Seedhawk. That's correct, yeah. Tell me about the relationship with with those and how that got going. Seedhawk, we founded in 92. So I started that with my brother and he did the marketing portions of of the company. And uh, I was the designer and the uh, more the manufacturing essence of the company and then about 10 years later things were less than good I guess in the relationship so we we went separate ways where I started Seedmaster with a lot of similar products they were all my patents so I, I, I utilized the same core thoughts I I did a big update at that time on the opener itself on once you're in a manufacturing facility, you kind of get into a rut, and sometimes it's nice to get a fresh start <laughs> where you can kind of throw all those jigs and fixtures away and say, okay, I'm, if I start again, it's kind of like building your second new house, eh? Yeah. 
uh, as soon as you finished your first one, you got ideas of how you, you'd yeah. want to do your second one. So that gave Seedmaster a boost at the beginning, and within a very short period, we had a second successful business. Yeah. Seed Hawk was Seed first. Hawk. That was in 92. Yeah, 2002, okay. 2003, so about 10, 11 years later. Your product range is from openers to big openers. Yeah, it started with openers. 25 years ago, I guess, I sat at harvest time in the field on our farm and dragged a screwdriver through the soil and thought to myself, this can't be that complicated. We should build a, build a better way of seeding, putting seed in the ground. And, for a couple of years, I just worked on paper drawings and, and welded up a structure that I could test for trying a new a terrain following opener. And basically, looking back in history, it was the first hydraulically activated terrain following opener in the world. And I didn't even realize that at the time, but to me, it was common sense. And, and so the opener and the, the placement of seed and fertilizer has been a focus for me for 25, 27 years. So. And then metering became equally important or next to uh, that level of importance. And so for the last 10 years, I guess I've focused a lot on the metering portion of broad seeded acres. and. Um, with all of this, we've been in the forefront of the move towards no-till, zero-till, we call it in Canada. And it's, it's the way of the future. And I, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the bigger companies at the beginning saw it as a gimmick, as something that would pass and, and they could get back to selling cultivators and discers and things like that. And, but now it's, it's become the convention in many parts of the world. When you founded this company, you were a full full time farmer at that point. Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I'm an agricultural engineer. Is my university background? Uh, my father retired in about 1985, and while taking over the farm, it's my uh, my passion for efficiency and and perfection. I guess uh, I've always been a designer at heart, and uh, it doesn't matter what what I'm touching, I'm trying to improve on it. So that's how it started, yeah. And we still own a part of the family farm and uh, our daughter and son-in-law do the active farming, uh, but I'm sometimes cheap hired help. I've always had a passion for farming and for the soil. And I think I always felt that I might end up back at the farm. I, I worked for other industries for a while and uh, they were not related to agriculture, but enjoyed them as well and then my father's retirement was probably a switching of thinking for me back from we were doing more construction type projects prior to that and so with that uh, the the opener the, the you incorporated in the early 90s correct yeah 92 uh, on the farm and and started commercializing yeah i filed for patents in uh in 91 92 on the first patents yeah what did you see at the time that uh, told you it's time to make it commercially available well once you're passionate about anything as soon as you're convinced you're already thinking of how to make it commercially available so i, I don't think there was ever a doubt in my mind that i would make it commercially available so it, that all took place within months very quickly we moved fairly fast. Once I had paper drawings uh, that I felt uh, might 
be workable. I got a hold of a friend, uh, Brian Kent is his name, uh, that helped turn it into a mechanical machine. And within a few months, we built the first one and planted uh, the first 1,200 acres on our farm right out of the box. So moved quickly after, uh, in paper drawings, I often look at a multitude of directions, but you start eliminating some of them. And, and once, once you can't get one out of your mind, then you focus on that one and, and get some of the details worked out. And don't be afraid of failure. You know, that's a big part of innovation, of course. So I, I've been up to your, your place. And what was going on at the time that allowed you the room to come in with a new product? In Western Canada, which was the market that I knew uh, at the time, the seeding operation was performed with air seeders of various colors and descriptions. And the tool for putting the seed in the ground was okay for wheat, but in the early 90s, the move towards canola was becoming important for Saskatchewan in particular at that time. And when, when I started farming that way, I, I realized that the methods of seeding were terrible for that kind of crop. And over time, I'm sure that every seed depth, fertilizer placement and packing are important to all crops all around the world. In Saskatchewan, we struggle with a very short growing season, so the efficiency of our seeding operation is critical to the farmer's survival. So in a way, it was being at the right place at the right time you know, like understanding the criticalness and uh, now we sell our opener in areas of the world like Australia where they have lots of growing season and it's, it's not important for the same reasons to come up quick, but it's always important for the plant to, to have equal emergence. And yeah, so that was the focus of, it was canola to start with. Canola is very sensitive to improper seed depth and when you have no-till, you have that, that precious, precious uh, amount of moisture right at the surface that if you deal with it properly, it'll, it'll get that crop going well. How did you go to market in those early years? How did you get the product out there? For the first eight or, well, 10 years, I guess, 10 to 12 years almost, we were direct selling. So we went to trade shows like, like this, uh, the local ones. And, Farm Progress show in Regina was the first one we went to and some farmers stumbled upon us and liked what, what we were doing and some walked by like this and said, I'll never farm that way. <laughs> you know, and you, you have to accept the, the good and the bad. We started with six machines uh, the first commercial year and they were spread through Saskatchewan and a bit of Alberta and supported those directly and over the years went to probably 60 or 70 machines per year that we direct sold. And then um, the dealers came to us at the beginning. They, uh, the mainline dealers in particular came to us and in their region they recognized that we were taking the market over and one direct comment that one chap, the dealer owner, said to me is if I, if I wanted to stay in the seating business, I, I either had to get out of the seating business or, or take you on as a, as a supplier. So over that 10 or 12 year period, they, the localized dealers recognized the value of the new innovative product. And, uh, and I think that's the story that a lot of innovators could tell a very similar story. What is it about yours that is so innovative? 
the opener? Yeah. Well, prior to that, it was cultivator disc type units that had a very coarse adjustment for, for depth. We went to a, a very long arm with a gauge wheel at the back that acts as the packer wheel and uh, that, that long arm gave us very precise seed depth on an individual row basis and uh, uh, with the use of hydraulics we were able to get exactly the same force against the earth with each packer wheel and very very precise seed depth. At the same time, I recognized the importance of fertilizer placement, and so I used a two-knife system right from the beginning, placing seed and fertilizer in separate bands directly on the same arm. Uh, so we've always had a, an extremely precise location of fertilizer. And I, I think there's parts of the industry and other parts of the world that, that can probably learn from some of the things we've learned about canola. You know, like I think some of the procedures even around here, uh, I think we can do a better job of placing fertilizer uh, at seeding time than a lot of the corn industry is doing today. But part of that is learning from other industries, other parts of the world. We, we have lots to learn about corn, soybeans, and, and so keeping an open mind. And Are you 100% dealer distributed today? Or yeah, the bulk of them are mainline dealers. There are some short-line dealers as well that uh, that are successful with our product as well. Yeah. How wide of a geographic footprint? Our, our main market is still Western Canada. We've got activity in Montana, North and South Dakota, and then we jump all the way to Australia. We've done a little bit of work in Kazakhstan and Mongolia and places like that, but but our, our core business is Western Canada. And Australia, and of course, North and South Dakota, Montana, have, have similar battles in, in agriculture. Hi, this is Frank Lesseter from No-Till Farmer, which is the original publication in the Lesseter Ag Media's portfolio. If you're interested in the best of what farmers are doing in soil health, fertility, cover crops, and a variety of seeding and planting innovations, you'll want to check out our No-Till Farmer podcast. You can search No-Till Farmer on your favorite podcast station to subscribe to this informative twice-a-month podcast. Now back to Mike and the How We Did It podcast. What would be some of the defining moments in Seedmaster's history? The decision to go off on your, your own? At the beginning of Seedmaster, I was 55 uh, years old, and I, I kind of almost had enough money to retire, but I still had a lot of passion for what I was doing, and so it didn't take me overnight to decide that I was starting again. And uh, so I, I started again, and my, my children, uh, who are now young adults, 40 years old, plus and minus. At that time, they were a point in their uh, professional development, I guess, that they were they were between jobs or be just after university, and so they all joined us, and so it's become a completely family-owned. We've taken on a lot of other management, but, uh, but the family has been at the core of the decision-making. Seedmaster's history, I don't know, it's been very positive developments, it's it's pretty gradual, you know, like a, a day doesn't go by that I'm not thinking of an improvement to some aspect of our, as far as the physical construction of our, our equipment. Probably that first dealer that walked in and made that comment might have been a, a, and looking back, I'm never sure 
whether that, if we hadn't taken that route of going to dealerships, what would we look like today? I don't, I don't know. More successful, possibly, less possibly, but. Was that a difficult decision? A little bit, because we always, and we still do, stay very much in direct communication with the end user, the farmer, and uh, that's a difficult thing for us and for our dealers, because the dealers don't like you walking directly to their farmers, but we know that we can give them better, clear answers to any problems they might have. So. Uh, most of our dealers have accepted that and, and let us let us through the gate, I guess you'd say. And uh, it's an easier business to understand if I'm selling directly to a, a consumer. It's it's easier to to set up for service support, everything. But easier isn't necessarily the only way to look at it. Like it um, opens up a bigger market, of course, and and trades trades. Uh, <laughs> have been a lifelong problem, I guess, to be blunt, of, of dealing through dealers. When we dealt directly, the f we never even thought about it. The farmer had to figure out how to get rid of his used piece of equipment. And, uh, and so we saw the dealership as a, as a stepping stone to eliminating that problem. But uh, at the end of the day, the farmer pays the bill, and, uh, and I'm not sure if the farmer's better off uh, through a few levels like that or not, but that's a, that's a long story. Yeah. yeah. Was it a decision that you were going to need to go dealer route to achieve a certain scale? No, I don't think so. Of course, there's a bit of pride and, and glory uh, involved in somebody coming to you and asking for your product. But uh, no, we were doing fine uh, direct, direct selling and um, growing organically. We saw the possibility, I'm sure, of, of growing quicker because of it. But in hindsight, I'm not sure if that would have been true or not. And I imagine there was quite a few things that were different the second time around, and the first probably capital accessibility to capital was one of those. Yeah, accessibility to capital. But I'm a cautious person as far as investment. I, I uh, whenever I. I borrow money in particular, which I hate to do. I, I want to see that as a short-term thing. And uh, so even starting again, uh, having more capital, I still did it slowly and carefully. And uh, I like to pay things off as I, within a couple of years, <laughs> when the expense is there. So, so I guess I started slowly. And a lot, of, a lot of times it's good to start a bit slower when you've got new things, new ideas, because uh, it's a lot easier to correct six six mistakes than than a hundred, and uh, we grew fairly quickly at Seedmaster from six again the first year to to probably twenty five or thirty the next year, and then kept growing from there. So yeah, is that would that have been unusual in your area up there to for someone to go out and hang out their own shingle at age fifty five? Yeah, somewhat. I think uh, never really thought about it. You know when you're young in, in reflecting on this is just right. general business you see a, um, a lot of entrepreneurs who make it happen through grit and the piss and vinegar that they bring the fight that they have at, at a younger age yeah. yeah 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 there definitely is but experience goes a long ways too and uh, uh, I, I know I can try new things now that are kind of out there uh, and that's maybe where Dot comes in, where if I think about it enough, I, I can pretty well 
taste the, the success of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas uh, younger, younger, in it, more inexperienced people, first of all, they're maybe more worried about failure and, and what, what people around them might think if, if they try something too far out there. I, I think part of experience is just not letting that bother you quite as much. Like the, the very first farm show that I talked about, I had farmers go by and say it'll be a cold day in hell before I farm this way. And, and those farmers all farm this way yeah. now. <laughs> so it must be cold day in hell. I was actually at a, a, a farm show in Canada when a dealer had, had got in a conversation and he talked about now versus the, the 1980s and he said one of the big differences now is that in the early 80s when I took over the dealership we had to make a way to survive he said the uncomfortable thing all these years later is now you have something to lose he said I didn't have anything right did that come into play for, for sure yeah and that's a struggle I think yeah. you you deal with on a daily basis as a business owner. You you could lose it any time if there's a new technology that pops up, but uh, I guess that keeps you nimble too. Yeah. The awareness of it keeps you yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Right? yeah. What have been the biggest challenges for you and the lessons learned through them? I guess dealing with people is always at the core of uh, like as an as an engineer, you think in mechanical terms and hydraulics and pressures and all these things but from a business perspective it has to be the heart and soul of of the people that work with you and and your customers and your your suppliers and your dealers and I've enjoyed that part too but it it's not something you can put an equation on uh, I'm sure one of the hardest things for a lot of developers to to deal with because they're all like me in terms of they're thinking about something physical something they want to do physically and uh, we built a very solid staff we've got a group of managers and, and employees that that have been with us for a long time so we're doing something right were there any real dark days no I don't think so not in a you know you're always worried about two or three years down the road but like no 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 well like I say I'm a fairly cautious type person so try to never get in a position where we're in financial danger or uh, I guess there's always surprises in terms of of components that you buy and you expect them to do a certain function and then the supplier kind of didn't do his homework right and and give you something that is not workable and and so you have to respond very quickly to things like that for for the company's sake, for the sake of your customers and everything. So that's happened a few times. It's fortunately, knock on wood, <laughs> hasn't happened for a few years, but you know, even hydraulic cylinders, for example, is really an important part of our machine. And one year we just had a terrible, terrible batch and uh, cost us a lot of money, but we stood behind it, backed it up, and did everything we could to switch them all out. And, and at the end of the day, some of those hardships become part of the success story too because the farmers and dealers realize that you went above and beyond what, what a larger company might have done. Oh, right. yeah. That word gets around, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. And as a small company, you don't even think about the choices. You, you have to do it. You know, you have to satisfy them. It's, if a few people get pissed off at you. Yeah. <laughs> Word gets around for sure, yeah.
We'll get back to Norbert and the story of Seedmaster in a moment, but first a, a quick word about our new sponsor, Osmondson Manufacturing, which supported our time, travel, and production in bringing these stories of family farm equipment manufacturers to you. Osmondson is a leader in the tillage tool business with a storied history of its own dating back to 1903. Visit them at www.osmondson.com. Now back to Norbert and more on the Seedmaster story. Pay attention to his thoughts on R&D and what the game of table tennis taught him about risk taking. And remember, stay tuned at the end for a special session on Norbert's Dot. When you look back at the uh, product innovations you've had, what, what are the top three that you're that were most impactful and that you're most proud of? Well, the opener is definitely what made what we are today and what what Seedmaster and Seedhawk is today. And, and the opener design, if you look at most other no-till manufacturers of seeders in the world, they all use part of the technology that come out of that unit 25 years ago. And of course, those patents are done and over with. And, and, and But that's progress. Like if, if a company in Australia gains from something that I did 25 years ago, I'm not losing sleep over that. Uh, so the opener, uh, metering. Metering is a fairly broad topic and it's uh, there's two lines of interest that I've developed and one is bra uh, uh, bulk metering which is more air seeder type and more uh, and so we've developed that and uh, metering in terms of individual row metering which is kind of a step between planters and, and it is where it meters each row into an individual cup and uh, we've done our own development on product development in, in that regard. So that's the second is metering and the, the third is definitely DOT. Yeah. Did you intend to be independently owned? Yeah. I don't know, most of the people that work for our company as well, including my kids, uh, that's all we know and that's that's the reason we get up in the morning is uh, because it's because it's ours and yeah. And even our employees, they they feel very close to us as a family. I've never thought of any other way of ownership, yeah. When it becomes time to hand the, the keys over to the, your successor, what are the tenants that you're gonna make sure that they hear, but the five things that you wanna make sure that they're aware of that got the business where it is today, you're gonna keep it going forward if you adhere to it. Yeah, well definitely listening to the customer would be number one. Listening to your customer, being aware of your banker. <laughs> yeah, every, everything has to, everything you do as a manufacturer, it has to make money at the end of the day and being focused on that. Yeah, you can't live without it. The way you treat your staff, for sure. Understanding what a failure might mean financially of, of a certain development, but not, not uh, shying away from that as well. You can't do an advancement without accepting some risk. Now what about failures and taking risk? Well, I can give you an example. Like two months ago, we decided to put our, our first dot unit on our exhibit and I went to three engineers and I said, I want to develop a, a, a sprayer, a land roller, and a grain cart for this unit. 
and you don't have to win at it. You give it your best shot, and if, if it doesn't work at all, we won't show it. If it kind of works, we'll show it and we'll keep developing it. And we'll let the public know that, that it's a first try at this stuff, of course, too. And I, I think that they, we gain by it, by, by those three individuals accepting the chance of failure. Like uh, when you give something to an engineer and he, he's desperate at, at it not failing, that development might take five times as long as if you say it's okay to fail. Just do your best and, and we'll start with what you've learned tomorrow and develop on that. And so all three of those devices uh, were extremely successful to the first stage like that in, in a very, very short period of time. Um, you, you know, ridiculously short period of time. And if you didn't, so not only that they, they got it to that stage quickly, but if you didn't manage that way, they're probably not getting learning opportunities. That's right. So I, I think, I, and of course, when you're when you're producing an item that that tomorrow you're selling it to the public, well, that you have to be extremely careful with, and and it has to succeed, and that's the the right impression. But I, but I think for freedom of thought and innovation, it it's good to keep that other that other method out there for a longer term project. Accept failure, yeah. Accept learning from failures and. I read something just recently. Uh, I played ping pong a lot at a younger age, and in a sport like that, they, this article talked about when you're rallying, you'll do some crazy shot and maneuvers that that you would never do in a game, and and to me that's accepting that failure without letting it control your mind. You know where you. In a, in a rally, you'll try that shot behind yeah. your back or whatever, yeah. and uh, and so I, th I think in a little in a little bit of a way that's how I put these three engineers in that position. You know, this is a rally. See yeah. see what you can do. Yeah. Is that approach something that you developed over time and through experience? I think it developed over the years. Although, right from 25 years ago, uh, once I have a thought in my mind, I. I, I think about things very broadly, uh, you know, if I want to see an improvement on seating, for example, back then it was very broad, um, I would think about it very broadly and then think about very fine details and then flip back and forth and then uh, eventually you, uh, there's a thought process that isn't uh, a conscious process that, that comes after plugging your mind full of different possibilities and then letting it rest. I, I don't know if it was an Einstein that, or somebody that said, I'll, I'll dwell on something for 99 times and try and come up with an answer. I'll go fishing and the answer will come to me in one sitting. I don't understand psychology or the brain at all, but I, it, it works in ways that we don't understand for sure. And. Uh, and you have to accept that that form of energy that 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 comes from your blind side. Right. <laughs> yeah. So a lot has changed in the in the time that you you have done the two companies, um, and a lot has changed on the distribution side. Yeah. In addition to regulatory and you know people yeah. issues. And, could you do this again today in this this climate, this economic landscape we're in? Start again where we were 25 years ago with with a product today. Yeah, yeah. What would be different about it today? What challenges would exist today that didn't exist? Then? 
Well, I don't know. The, uh, the whole social media, different ways of communication and, and exposing your ideas are so much easier now. Like 25 years ago, <laughs> we'd do a, a paper drawing and send a fax to somebody. Yeah. And a fax was really quite revolutionary right. back then. <laughs> so uh, things are a lot faster now, of course. Distribution, I don't think it, in Canada, distribution hasn't changed much. You know, if you're dealing with one of the one of the bigger companies, there's still always that tendency to for their store to be pure uh, in their color, but uh, uh, it's the farmer that really decides. If the farmer comes into a store and wants something they can't produce, and uh, it still speaks as loudly today as it did 25 years ago. Yeah, you feel good and uh, optimistic, bullish on the future of a, a short line equipment supplier yeah I do I, I think there's ways that they'll come together and dot might make them very powerful the shortliners all have a good answer for a local market that's where they start and uh, uh, they end up with something that's better for that local market and and eventually they recognize that they can make it better for a bigger and bigger market and then eventually the big guys buy them out <laughs> it's, it's kind of a common story but but if they stay on their own and and all even even the big guys they were all short liners at one time as well so uh, that evolution uh, yeah just a natural evolution someone who can bring an innovative product to the market there's still a place for them absolutely yeah and in same in terms of same opportunities are there and they always will be in terms of developing a product with direct sales and uh, I, I think most items start that way really they the, the dealers won't take on a product until it's proven itself that's that's the only option in the ag business anyway anything I hadn't asked you that you thought would be important to share while we're running no I think we've covered a fair bit I'm, I mean, we could talk. We could talk forever, but <laughs> yeah, you have to make sure you still feel like you're an average kind of guy, and uh, and you're just doing doing what you're what you're good at. And really, that's that's all I feel about what I've done. Uh, I'm not uh, super intelligent. Uh, I just I can focus on a specific problem and, and come up with a solution. And now, in a special bonus session, is a separate recording we did with Norbert Beaujau about his public release of the DOT autonomous farming platform. It created quite a buzz. Uh, what we had up there is the, the DOT uh, prime mover, the platform, and we had four implements that, that Seedmaster built uh, to go with it. Uh, there was a seeding unit that uh, was built specifically for it and a, a land roller and a, a sprayer, a 60-foot sprayer and a, a grain cart for harvest operation. What was the reaction up there to it when, when you, you showed it? It was good overall. It made a lot of farmers scratch their heads, scared some, excited some. Ninety percent of the farmers recognized it as the way of the future. A lot of farms, of course, aren't ready for it, and some of them will be scared of it for a while, but you shouldn't be scared about it because a lot of this technology, you already use it. We've just combined a bunch of things and looked at it a different way. 
So would you, would you say that the technology exists to do this today? All the components that we use exist today. Uh, so we've been farming with auto steer for 20, 20 years or more. Uh, the farmer's used to not touching the steering wheel. We've used hydraulics to drive sprayers and swathers, uh, things like that for many, many years. All of those components exist today. I think one of the bigger components that, that will be important in the long term is the obstacle avoidance and recognition software. And fortunately, the auto industry is leading that for us and, and creating more reliable and cheaper and cheaper items uh, that we can incorporate. And those things will remain flexible with them and, and be able to update and incorporate what, what's necessary uh, over time. That appears to be happening so rapidly that it's easier to envision it coming over to ag before too long. It's, it's in ag now and we are using those components on dot to add to the safety of the items around it and itself as well. You know, we were using the term defining moment to move forward, to be a reality. What has to happen? What, what is the next natural step for this? There's so much interest. We're introducing it very aggressively to all short-line manufacturers so that they can develop their technology to, to be mounted onto DOT. That'll be long-term very important and Seedmaster started with those four implements that I talked about because Seedmaster had the luxury of knowing about this device for the last two years so uh, we were able to quickly develop some units that we knew we could manufacture ready for DOT. What the majors and dealers would do who, who their livelihood is based on tractor manufacturing and right. how will we get past that? Well, it's not really our problem, it's more their problem. The tractor to me is obsolete, it's too inefficient and uh, there's better ways. Seedmaster has built drills as we talked about for, for many years and uh, we've been building bigger and bigger and bigger drills and, and we were the first in North America to build a hundred foot cedar quite a few years ago and as an engineer and as a farmer the inefficiencies of those large pieces of equipment were weighing on me heavily. So about three years ago, I was dwelling only on that. How can we improve on efficiencies? Because it, it wasn't going to be a 120-foot cedar. The, the, uh, the bigger and bigger equipment have been developed primarily because there's a shortage of, of expert help on farms. You've got these half-million-dollar pieces of equipment or a million-dollar pieces of equipment you have to select the operator very carefully, and when you do that, you have to have him cover as many acres as you can. But when you take that out of the formula, all of a sudden you look around and if you make it autonomous, then all you're looking at is, well, what's the most efficient for the farmer? What was involved in, in putting, this, putting all these technologies together? How did you go about doing it as fast? Well, I, I've dwelled on it for three years, but for the last two years, uh, every day of the week probably uh, on the development and I removed myself from the day-to-day -day operation of Seedmaster so that I can could dwell s simply on the development of the technology of DOT and then my mounds of paper drawings I got started transferring that to more modern day engineers that, that could put, <laughs> put, put all that information on, on AutoCAD. 
And so that development took place fairly quickly. There was nothing physical. There was some, some CAD drawings. And then we started building the first powered platform that didn't have a name at that time. But it worked. You know, uh, it worked right out of the box. And uh, we're, we're doing a bunch of testing now. Just, I think it, it could be a change that has huge amounts of benefits to the farmer that's never happened before because I, I'm sure it happened a hundred and some years ago when the first tractor and somebody says, well, how do I hook this horse-drawn yeah. plow to this device? Uh, it'll never work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, uh, in, in my lifetime, I don't remember this type of opportunity that, that we might see a benefit to farms and to short-line manufacturers. For more information on DOT, you can visit www.c.run.com. And remember to check back with precisionfarmingdealer.com for videos there as well. Thanks to Norbert for his story and for being our first entrepreneur in the series that hails from the Great White North. And also to Osmondson Manufacturing for supporting our travels and production times for these recordings. For more, visit www.osmondson.com. Com. And I've got to give some props out to Joe Kinsley, who did return to us after his beach vacation in Portugal. He eagerly spliced these two separate recordings together for you today in one episode. Thanks, Joe. And for you, thanks for joining us for today. Till next time, I'm Mike Lester of Farm Equipment and No-Till Farmer, signing out on How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs.